a small one-room house. At least from our perspective, coming in for a week or a few days, it can seem that way. But whether they are truly content or they just seem to be, when you see that firsthand, it's, it's humbling. It's humbling. It, it exposes how discontent we can be and often are. You know the saying, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. We might not say that, but how often do we think and live that way? How quickly and easily we can grumble and complain, maybe not always out loud, but in our hearts. It, it might be the, the food that your mom makes for supper. It might be a flu that changes the plans that you had. We, we can so easily be discontent about so much in life. We're so prone to think of, if only I had that, then I would be happy. If only I had more money or more toys, or more time. If only I had a bigger or a better house, or a nicer car. If only I had a spouse, or maybe a better spouse. If only I had better parents. If only I had the gifts that she has. If only I had you fill in the blank. I would be content if only this had not have happened. Contentment can be a real struggle at any time, even the best times, but, but sometimes especially when things go wrong in life, when things don't go the way that you had hoped. You might think, well, does that really matter? Is, is discontentment really that big of a problem? Well, yes, it is. For one thing, discontentment robs us of joy and it turns us into sour and unpleasant people. Thomas Watson, in his book, The Art of Divine Contentment, compared it, he compared discontentment to a rust that corrodes and eats away at the comforts of life and to a drop or to a vinegar that, that sours a whole glass of wine. But that's not even the worst thing about discontentment. The worst thing about discontentment is that it reveals a sinful distrust of God. You think of the Israelites in the wilderness. We're told very many times about how discontent they were. One occasion in particular highlights the sinfulness of their discontentment and how seriously God took it. In Numbers 21, we're, we're told that they spoke against God and against Moses, and they said, Wherefore, or why, have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loathes this light bread, this, this manna that God was providing for them. You see, they were discontent, and, and do you know what happened? That's the, the time when the Lord sent the fiery serpent among the people, and they bit the people, and, and many of Israel died. And you see, that teaches us the sinfulness of discontentment. And that means that it is a big problem. It's not something to just shrug our shoulders at. It's something to repent of and to flee from, and, and instead to seek contentment. But again, that's not an easy thing. 
Watson puts it like this. Many of God's children, even, who excel in some duties of religion, when they come to this one of contentment, how they bungle. How they bungle. They have hardly begun to be masters of this art. Maybe you can identify with that. I can. Being content is difficult, and yet it's important. So, so how do we get it? Well, that's what our text this morning, Philippians 4, verses especially 11 through 13, is all about. Paul sets himself before us here as an example of Christian contentment. He's finally coming to the end of his letter to the Philippians, and in verse 10 he expresses how, how, how he has been made glad in the Lord by their care for him. It seems that through their messenger, uh, Epaphroditus, whom he mentions earlier in the letter and, and then later on in this chapter, they had sent a gift to him to provide for his needs in his imprisonment. And he tells them of his great joy about that in verse 10. But then in verse 11, he makes, he makes a surprising statement. He says, not that I speak in respect of want or in regard to need. In other words, I'm happy about your gift, but, but not because I needed it. How can he say that? He explains in the second part of verse 11. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. And then he goes on to tell us more about that contentment in verses 12 and 13. And it's in looking at these verses that we can learn what Christian contentment is and how we, like Paul, can learn to live, learn and live it out in our lives. And so with God's help, then we'll look at these verses under the theme, Paul's example of Christian contentment. We'll consider three things, the essence of it, the wonder of it, and the secret to it. Well, what is Christian contentment? We need to know the answer to that question in order for us to learn, like Paul, to be content, as God calls us to be. In other words, we need to know the essence of Christian contentment. The word verse 11 translates as content. You could also translate it as, as satisfied. It's like, it's like what you feel after you eat a good meal. Maybe you've had that recently. You, you've eaten a good meal and, 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 and you were full and you just pushed your chair back and you just let out a contented sigh. Or it's like that, what we sang up in, in, in Psalter 366 a few moments ago. Uh, it's like a child who, who rests contentedly on his mother's breast. That's the picture that Paul is giving here with this word contentment. He's, he's talking about being satisfied. Not, not physically, but, but spiritually. He says he's learned to be satisfied, to be in need of nothing in whatsoever state he is. So in other words, the essence then of Christian contentment is the spiritual skill of being completely satisfied in our hearts, in whatever circumstances God appoints for us. It's more than being submissive. It includes that, but it's, it's more than that. It's being satisfied. That's the essence of Christian contentment. Paul says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. It's not something we have automatically or, or naturally. It's a skill, a spiritual skill we have to learn. And that means it takes, it takes time and, and practice. Now the encouraging thing about that is that when we are Christians, 
that, that gives us hope that we can become content. Some of you are, are skilled at, in construction, maybe in, 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 in plumbing or electrical work or, or framing or painting or something like that. Some of you are skilled in musical instruments, playing piano. But how do you learn to do those things and to do them well? It's through time and through practice, through experience. The more time you spend, the, the more time you practice, the better you get. And so it is with Christian contentment. It's not an apostolic gift. It's not something reserved just for Paul or, or for the apostles. No, it's something Paul learned. It's a skill, a spiritual skill. And that means it's, it's something we can work towards too. That's the encouraging thing. The challenging thing, of course, is that we must be willing to learn it. You know, when you learn to play, when you play the piano, you don't learn to play it unless you're willing to learn unless you're willing to spend the time and, and focus on it. And so in the same way, we won't learn to be content unless we're willing to learn. And so the question, really, the first question that comes to us in our text to, to apply to ourselves is, am I willing? Am I willing to learn this skill? Not, not by my own strength, but by the power of the Spirit of Christ. But what is this skill exactly? Well, it's, it's, it's being completely satisfied in our hearts, in whatever circumstances God appoints for us. Now, what does that mean? Well, why don't we start with what that doesn't mean. Christian contentment does not mean we are to be content with unbelief. If you are here this morning and you are not saved, then don't think that this verse is telling you, you can be content with that. And sometimes I'm afraid that some of you are, especially some of you young people. You know you're not saved, but hey, whatever. I can't do anything about it anyway. That's a wrong and a wicked attitude. If you know you're not saved, then you should be on your knees before God, crying out for mercy until he has it. Mercy on you. If you don't do that, you see what you're doing. You're only storing up more and more of the wrath of God to be poured out on you in the day of judgment. Christian contentment does not mean being content with unbelief. Nor does it mean being content with sin in our hearts and in our lives. Or being complacent about God's honor. Or about how far we've come in in even in the Christian life. Paul, Paul wasn't content with how far he had come, was he? Remember what he said in Philippians 3, in verses 13 and, and 14? Brethren, he said, I count not myself to have apprehended, to have taken hold, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. So, so Christian contentment does not mean complacency about unbelief or sin or about the honor of God or about our progress in the Christian life. But it also doesn't mean that we don't feel the pain of suffering. Or that we may not grieve. It doesn't, Christian contentment doesn't mean just being tough and, and not letting anything affect us. It doesn't mean that we ignore our troubles or pretend like we don't have any. 
doesn't mean that we cannot bring our troubles humbly to God in prayer and ask Him for relief. The Psalms make clear that we can and even should do that. You think of David. David, at times, he was hiding in the caves from Saul. How many songs he wrote, how many prayers to God for deliverance he prayed. Like in Psalm 142, verse 2, when he says, I poured out my complaint before him. I showed before him my trouble. You think of Paul himself, as we read earlier from 2 Corinthians 12, how he, he prayed to God to take away his thorn in the flesh. So contentment doesn't mean we can't humbly complain to God and ask him to change things in our lives. Nor does it mean that we can't seek support and wisdom and, and, and help from Christian friends. Nor does it mean that we must just passively accept all of our circumstances as they are and never try to change them for the better. The kind of attitude that says, well, it just is what it is. No, Paul makes that clear in, in another passage, 1 Corinthians 7, verses 17 to 24. He's speaking there in that passage in the context about marriage. And he stresses the importance of contentment with our circumstances as Christians. When God has called us in the gospel and converted us, he's, he's saying the main thing in life should be obedience to, to, his, to, to his commands, not, not changing our circumstances. Be content, he says, with how you were when God called you. But that doesn't mean changing our circumstances is wrong, because in, in verse 21 of 1 Corinthians 7, he tells those who were servants or, or slaves that when, when God called them and, and converted them, he tells them not to care about it, not, not to be overly concerned about it. In other words, they're to be content. But, but then he says something else. He says, if you can be made free, then use it. Then take the opportunity. You see? So, so Christian contentment does not mean we cannot use lawful means to change and improve our circumstances. But what does it mean then? It means that whatever circumstances we are in, we don't depend on them for our satisfaction. Our, hope, our hearts, our souls are satisfied, whether our circumstances are good or bad, whether they're pleasant or difficult. It's not just a matter of, of looking and acting content outwardly, but being content inwardly. So that our hearts, you could say, our souls are, are full. And we're in need of nothing. Jeremiah Burroughs in his classic book, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment, says this. Christian contentment is a sweet inward heart thing. It's a work of the Spirit indoors. And so yes, if we can improve our circumstances, we do. But it's not the main thing. It's not the essential thing. If things are bad and we can't change it, that's okay. It may be hard. It may be painful, extremely painful. It may be unpleasant, but it's not the end of the world. Our inward happiness, our joy does not depend on our circumstances. That's what Christian contentment is. The essence of it. So when we've learned Christian contentment, then whatever our circumstances, while we might humbly pray to God, humbly complain to God, we won't complain against God. We won't grumble or murmur against Him, either with our mouths or in our hearts. 
We won't commit sin to get relief from, from an affliction. No, our hearts will be at peace, at rest, settled as a little child upon its mother's breast. They won't be craving something that God has denied them for the present. They'll be like that person who's just had a good meal and is full. They'll be, they'll be thankful. That's the essence of Christian contentment. It's not an easy thing to learn, is it? How often, how easily we can fall short of this. How often, as Watson said, God, even godly Christians can bungle. Perhaps, perhaps that's partly why Paul makes special mention of contentment in First Timothy. <laughs> In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, when he says that not only godliness, but godliness with contentment is great gain. But what really makes it so difficult? Well, in part, it's the sheer wonder of it. Verse 12 highlights that, and that brings us to our second point, the wonder of Christian contentment. In verse 12, Paul, he begins to expand on, on what he means when he says, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. Look at what he says there. He says, I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You see what Paul's emphasizing here? He's emphasizing how all-inclusive Christian contentment is, how utterly independent of circumstances, all circumstances, it is. That's the wonder of it. On the one hand, it includes difficult circumstances. Paul says he knows how to be abased, how to be humbled, how to be made low. His point isn't that just that he's had that happen to him. He certainly did. How often he was made low in all kinds of ways. If you look at 2 Corinthians 11, just before chapter 12, he gives quite a list. Paul knew what it was, made, what it was to be made low. He was slandered. He was beaten. He was thrown in prison. And these things didn't just happen to him once. They happened to him over and over, multiple times. He was falsely accused. He was unloved and unappreciated, even by some fellow Christians. He was made low many times. But his point is that he knew how to suffer that. And that's what God called him to do. He, he knew how to endure that without giving up, without getting angry without holding a grudge, without becoming bitter, without grumbling against God and saying, why are you doing this to me? Why are you letting this happen? He, he knew how to be abased and, and not respond in sin. He knew how to be made low and yet be content. He goes on to say that he was instructed, literally he had learned the secret of how to be hungry and to suffer need. You think about how difficult it is to be content in times of hunger. How easy it is for us when we're hungry to become irritable and impatient. Sometimes we call it being hangry, don't we? Paul had learned not to be like that. He had, he had learned to be content even when his stomach was growling. He learned the skill of being satisfied in his heart, in the very core of his being, even in times of hunger. 
See, he really, he really believes that word of God, that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Even in times of need, in times of poverty, when outwardly he did not have enough, he knew how to handle that. He knew how to be content in the midst of that. He didn't become envious of others who had more. Christian contentment persists even in the most difficult circumstances. That's the kind of contentment we're called to learn. Seems impossible, doesn't it? Maybe we're tempted to think, yeah, right, you have no idea. You have no idea what's going on in my life right now. Probably not. But I do know what was going on in Paul's life when he wrote this. Because he tells us in his letter. He didn't write this in a lazy form. He didn't write this while he was living in a nice house with a good job and lots of family and friends around him and, 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 a, and a good salary, a comfortable salary. He wrote this while he was in prison. He wrote this while a Roman guard was standing next to him, connected to him by a chain 24-7. He wrote this with a possible death sentence from the Roman emperor hanging over his head. Those were Paul's circumstances. Can't get much worse than that. And yet it's in those circumstances that he writes, I have learned in whatsoever state I am to be content. What a wonder. What a wonder Christian contentment is. Not only though because of its, it includes difficult circumstances, but, but also because it includes good circumstances. Paul says that he knows how to, not only how to be abased, but also how to abound. He has learned the secret not only of being hungry and suffering need, but also of being full of having abundance. Now we might be tempted to think that's easy. Contentment's easy when things are going well. But it's actually not. In 1 Timothy 6, Paul warns us about that. He tells Timothy in in verse 17 of 1 Timothy 6, to charge those who are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, now think about why Paul says that. He's not just filling space. The reality is he knows that when we are rich, when things are going well, the temptation can be strong to put our trust in our riches, in our prosperity, in our good circumstances. When, we, when things are going well, we're tempted to think the opposite of what Jesus taught us in Luke 12, verse 15. We're tempted to think and live as if our lives do consist in the abundance of our possessions. And when we do that, that leads to discontentment. Because it's never enough. We want more and more and more. And in 1 Timothy 6 verse 9, Paul says that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. The point is, congregation, it can be just as hard and perhaps in some ways even harder to be content in good times as it is in difficult times. And yet, Paul was. He learned to be content. Also, in good circumstances. 
in the times when he had enough food, in the times when he had the times of plenty and prosperity. He says, in everywhere, everywhere, and in all things. In other words, whatever happens to him, he has learned to be content. You see with me just the utter wonder of Christian contentment. But it's not just something for us to admire, is it? It's something we're called to strive for. Paul is an example here for us to follow. And so the question we, we need to ask is, how, Paul, how did you learn this contentment? And that's what we want to look at now in our last point, the secret of Christian contentment. The secret. That's actually how Paul speaks of it. Our translation doesn't quite show that, but it, it, it's a secret he's learned. In, in verse 12, that word instructed literally means he's learned or he's been taught a secret. He's been let into the secret of Christian contentment in all circumstances. But what is that secret? He doesn't keep the secret secret because he tells us in verse 13, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. The secret of Christian contentment is Jesus Christ. Paul's ability, when he, Paul says, I can do all things, he's not referring here to an ability to do absolutely anything, whatever he feels like or things he should do. You know, sometimes people use this verse that way in sports activities or other things, but that's taking this verse out of context. That's not what Paul's talking about. He's not talking about, uh, you know, I can, I can walk on water or I can, I can lift a, a, a thousand pounds of weights or I, I can take down my Roman guard. No, when he says, I can do all things, he's referring to his ability to be content in all circumstances. That's the context. He's referring to his ability, ability to be satisfied in his heart, to be at rest in his heart, in whatever circumstances God appoints for him. And he can do that. How? Through Christ, who strengthens him. You see, Paul's not boasting. Paul's not boasting about, you know, uh, I learned contentment. Look at how good I am. No, it's not anything in Paul. It's not anything in you. It's not anything in me. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Only He can teach us this skill. Without Him, we can do nothing. And that includes being content. Only He can give us the strength to be content the way that God calls us to be to be satisfied in our hearts in any and every circumstance, including whatever painful and most difficult circumstance you may be in this morning, and including any, whatever good and wonderful circumstance you may be in. And so the only way to learn this secret, the only way to learn to be content in whatever state we are is to have Jesus Christ. And the only way to have Jesus Christ is to be in Him, to be united to Him. And the only way to be united to Him is through faith in Him. Through trusting in Him for salvation. Through coming to Him as a needy sinner. Coming to Him with all of your sin, with all of your depravity, with all of your inability to do any good, including being content. And saying, Lord, save me. Save me from all my sin. Also all my discontent. And the Lord Jesus loves to receive such. 
He promises to receive all who come to him with nothing in themselves. He promises to give them all that they need. He promises to give them his cleansing. He promises to give them his righteousness. He promises to give them his spirit. And so when you come humbly to him, you not only receive his love and his forgiveness and his grace in that way and his mercy, but you receive his power. You receive his power to strengthen you day by day, moment by moment, enabling you to be content, to be satisfied in your heart in whatever situation God has put you in. You see an example of that in 2 Corinthians 12, don't we? We read it earlier. Paul had received a thorn in the flesh. It's not referring to an actual thorn, but it clearly refers to something quite difficult and painful. Maybe children, you've been poked by a thorn before. Maybe from a rose bush or a, a raspberry bush, or maybe you've, you've, you've gotten a, a sliver big sliver. That hurts, doesn't it? And Paul's saying that he, had, he was given something in his life that hurts like that. He even calls it a messenger of Satan. And, and he prayed to the Lord three times that that thing, whatever it was, would depart. But then he tells us, he tells us in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, how the Lord answered him. He said to Paul, my grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. For my strength is made perfect in weakness. What does that mean? Does it mean the Lord took the thorn away? It doesn't. The Lord left the thorn there. He let Paul continue to experience pain and difficulty and discomfort. But he gave him his grace and strength to endure it. And Paul could be satisfied. He could be content with that because Christ assured him that his grace is sufficient. It's enough. You see, that's why Christ is a secret to contentment. Because he's so great. Because there's unsearchable riches of grace in him. And so when we have Christ, you see, when we have Christ, we have everything. That's why we can always be thankful in prayer. There's a helpful little book on prayer by David McIntyre. It's called The Hidden Life of Prayer, and you can get it online in a PDF. At one point in that book, he's talking about thanksgiving, giving thanks to God in prayer, and he says these words to those who are in difficult circumstances. He says this, God may take away much that is dear, but has he not given us Christ? You see, that's what you need to remember, dear Christian. That's what I need to remember. God has given us Christ. And he is all that we need. He's everything. 
And that's why. That's why we can be content. That's how we can be content. And perhaps then the reason that we struggle with contentment is that we struggle really to believe that. We struggle to believe that the grace that Christ is sufficient, that his grace is sufficient. And maybe if you're honest, you've never really believed that. Maybe you said you did. Maybe you even used to think you did. But in reality, as you look back at your life, you see now that you've been living for the things of this life. You've been looking to other things, to money or to possessions or to a relationship or to personal success to satisfy you. But they haven't done that, have they? Why not? Because they can't. It is only through Christ that we can find real, full satisfaction and contentment. And the wonderful thing is that that is why Jesus Christ came. He came to give life and that more abundantly. And he promises to give that life. He promises to give that satisfaction to whoever comes to him. Whoever believes in him. Whoever trusts in him. Even when you may have been looking in all the wrong places. He that comes to me. He says in John 6 verse 35. Shall never hunger. And he that believes on me shall never thirst. Are you here this morning looking for satisfaction? For real, eternal satisfaction? And turn away from all those other things. Come to Jesus. Believe in Him. And you will not be put to shame. Maybe you say, I've done that. But I've wandered away. I've forsaken him. I've forsaken this fountain of the living waters. And I've gone and dug, dug out broken cisterns, wells that can hold no water. How often we can do that, even as God's people, can't we? And then we wonder why we struggle to be content. But perhaps, if that's you this morning, perhaps that's why the Lord has come to you with this word call you back, to call you back to Him. Only He can satisfy, and He will. So seek Him, live in reliance on Him, and He will satisfy you, and He will strengthen you, so that you can learn to be content in all circumstances. Christ is the secret to contentment, Christian contentment. Amen.